Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. This is Bo with Running Light. I'm Peter. And we are here to talk to you guys about the Bible and about things regarding sex, sexuality, and sensuality. This is podcast episode five, no, 142. <laughs> no, it's actually episode 90. Yeah, episode 90, we're hitting it. And um, we wanted to show you guys something cool. Look at this. This is Peter Martin's new workbook. Is this cool? And look <laughs> at his face in the in the book. <laughs> but this thing's awesome. This is a 200-page workbook. Um, so this is no small thing. No, it's not. <laughs> you know? My heavens, man. So, uh, gosh. You can pick it up on Amazon.com, and it looks really cool. Rooted in Sin, Rescued by Love by Peter Martin, a guide to better understanding and combating sin through the grace and love of God. So this is cool. Places to like write little notes in it, too, little note places. Very cool. Answer questions. So our good friend Susan Parr out in... Albuquerque did a great job. She did. Putting yeah, it together. She did. Um, this thing looks great. Um, very cool. What do you think? I think it's awesome. <laughs> I was, like, really happy with it. Are you pretty stoked? I'm pretty stoked, man. <laughs> I mean, what more could you have asked for? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, man. Exceeded all my expectations. Yeah, so now we gotta now we got to get this thing out there, right? And start promoting it and, and all that jazz. Yeah. So that will be really the fun project. What was your funnest part of writing the book? Uh, my favorite part about writing the book, like what's my favorite chapter? Yeah. Um, I had a, I had a really fun time writing the chapter on laziness. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just like, it's just a fun sin to talk about. Like, even though it's like, it is serious, but it's like, it's one of the more like funny sins to like really start examining yourself and just seeing like how, how lazy you really are. <laughs> and did so, you call it sloth? I, I did. I don't think I called it in sloth. I didn't think I called it sloth. Um, but you know that's what it is that's that's what the the sin is uh but yeah like i said it's just it's just kind of like fun to to look inside and like see all these areas that um that i was failing in cuz when i was writing the book um i wasn't writing it from the perspective of like i'm done you know like this is this is what god has done in my life and it's over when i was writing the book i wanted to really challenge myself and to really draw out a lot of the areas that I struggle with in intense ways. And so writing the chapter on laziness was a lot of fun. I had a, I had a blast writing that. Uh, probably my favorite chapter in the book um, would probably be the one on repentance, which I think is lesson seven. And then the most, the newest one for me to write, uh, the one that I hadn't really studied at all until the time that I started teaching on this uh, was self-deception. So I never really examined the idea of self-deception until about a year ago. So that was that was a really interesting chapter for me to write too. Mm. Very cool. Very, 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 very cool. That that's awesome, man. I like this though. It's no good to say that you trust Jesus if you aren't willing to do what he asked, uh, what he has asked you. The belief that you don't have to sacrifice to follow God is laziness, not spirituality. <laughs> So that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. 
So you're kind of laying some things down, eh? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I love how she did it in that workbook format because, you know, um, again, and we were talking in, in the group on Tuesday because right now in the group on Tuesday, we're going through this book. And um, we're, having this, we're having this really deep conversation because we're going through the chapter on love, on God's love. We're having this really deep conversation. One of the guys raised his hand and, and he's asked, he's like, is that in the book? I'm like, no, it's not in the book. <laughs> I was like, in the book, I even, I, I say in the beginning, I say this book is not meant to be an exhaustive resource, meaning it's not meant to be like you read it and you're done. The, the book, and a lot of times in the book, I'll say like, I could keep going, but I'm not going to. Like I'm stopping here because the purpose of the book is to incite thought meaning you're supposed to sit and think and meditate on it, and you're supposed to write down what you're thinking in the moment, what you're, is going on in your life, and you're supposed to review it. And, you know, my greatest desire would actually be that people go through it together because um, I feel like when you discuss it, when you talk about it with others, it will really, really help you see more of your stuff and their stuff, and it, it would be a great time. When I was writing it, um, I was going over a lot of this stuff with my wife, meaning that me and her would, would talk about these issues together and it led to a lot of great conversations and dialogue about especially when we got to the chapters on um, emotional sin so I struggle a lot with depression um, and anger my wife struggles a lot with anxiety so it was it was great for us to just kind of bounce off of one another and just be like you know how, how do you deal with this you know and how does this work in your life and it was it was really cool so you know I do encourage people to you know when they're when they have the book if you're Married, go through it with your spouse. You know, read it with your spouse. If you're not married, you know, go through it in a group of your friends or however you want to do it. But the more you you really spend time just pausing and praying and pondering over these things, the more beneficial that will be for sure. Mm, yeah, that's 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 cool. Um, is it an all-encompassing workbook? You think? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so. Basically, I don't even get into a whole lot of specifics. So, you know, when when you read other things that like Bo has written for the site um, and stuff that we talk about in the podcast, we get really specific. We talk about specific sexual issues. We talk about specific stuff. I don't even think I mention any specific things. I, I just mention like the overarching roots of what's going on. And again, it's intended for you to then pause and say like, well, how does this impact me? So instead of even like one of the, one of the chapters in the book, for instance, is the chapter on envy. Um, and envy in the Bible, it's the sin that's also translated covetousness, and it's also translated as jealousy, and it's also translated as lust at various times. So that chapter encompasses everything from gluttony to sexual lust to even um, alcoholism to drug addiction um, it encompasses vanity, it encompasses greed, it encompasses, so it's like, it's like this, this huge overarching word that encompasses all these internal sins. And I, I mention them in passing, but again, it's not supposed to be something where you read it and you're just like, oh, I totally understand what's going on in my life. Um, it's supposed to be, you're supposed to read it and be like, how does this impact me? And for you to take the time and to do the work and to understand it for yourself. In Proverbs 4, verse 26, it says, ponder the path of your feet, and then you will find wisdom. Um, and then earlier in the chapter, uh, in that same chapter, he talks about the wicked versus the righteous. And one of the main things he says about the wicked versus the righteous is he says, the wicked don't know what they stumble after, 
but the righteous, it says the path of the righteous will be like the dawning of the sun will become brighter and brighter as the day comes. So there's this idea that like what separates the wicked from the righteous in the, in the overarching theme of wisdom, because that's what Proverbs is about. Well, the main thing that he says is that the wise, the righteous, take the time to internalize things, to investigate what's going on in their lives and to really think through it. He says the wicked, what's going on with them, the reason why they're foolish is because they never take the time to think through things. And so it says they stumble, and I love how it says it, they stumble and they don't know what they're tripping over. And for years in my life, and for probably a lot of, still in my life, for a lot of things that I struggle with, um, I would get to the point where I was like, I, I don't know why I just did that. You know, I don't know what I just stumbled over, but right. I know I stumbled. And uh, the time that it really hit me actually was, it was when I was in my first premarital with you. And uh, you were, you were, it was the first, I was just getting into the idea of counseling. I never counseled before. And I sat in on a premarital with you. And, you know, I'm not going to give any names, but we were in this premarital and one of the people there had been unfaithful during their engagement. And um, I remember you asked her and, and you said like, you know, why do you think this happened? And they didn't have any answers. And you said to them, like, if you don't know why you did it, you're probably going to do it again. You know, and it, and it really hit me where it's like, I never really at any point in my life had thought prior to that, that I had to understand why I did what I did. I just thought I had to stop. Uh, but I didn't understand that you, you can't really stop if you don't even know what you're trying to stop, if you don't know the source of it. So you will never be able to understand the source of what you do by being told what it is. I mean, no one could tell you what it is. You have to do the work. You have to really start thinking and praying and meditating over these things. Um, or else you're not, it's not going to illuminate for you. Hmm. So what do you, what do you, you gave us some suggestions about having people get with other people. Um, what are you hoping people kind of get through this workbook? Um, what I really hope that people get from it is I feel like I, I want people to have kind of a, um, a roadmap for hopefully the rest of their Christian life. I mean, I, I hope it just sparks something in them where when they get to the end of the book, they're just like, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my Christian walk. And just to have an immense amount of joy about that. Of just like, man, I, for the rest of my Christian walk, I'm going to spend my time investigating. You know, when I fall short, when I fail, I'm going to spend time investigating why that happened and being able to communicate in honesty and transparency with other Christians about that. And that they would be able to see. Because a lot of the book is about sin, but half of the book is actually about glory. Meaning half of the book is not about sin at all. It's about good things. So I spend a couple chapters on love. I spend a couple chapters on joy. And joy was an amazing chapter, right? I, I loved it. Um, it was so fun and so beautiful to focus on the joy of God um, in that time. I, I focus on joy, self-control, peace, patience, kindness. Like I, I go over all the fruit of the Spirit. And so when you're, when you're doing it, it's not just that you're meditating on the bad things, but you're also meditating on the good things. Meaning e even when you are meditating on the bad things, you're doing it in light of the glory of God and the love of God in your life. And so I'm hoping that when people get to the end, like I said, it will just spark this desire for them to want to get to know God better, to invest in a relationship with him in a more dynamic way than ever before, and that they would be able to really investigate the issues of their life that are preventing them from getting closer to God and being able to deal with it. Um, because, you know, me and, me and you talk about this often, and that's why I said probably my favorite chapter is chapter 7. Um, I spent a long time writing chapter 7. And the reason why I spent so long doing it is because I wanted to just 
dive in and research the idea of repentance like never before. So I not only went through the Bible and made sure that I had a firm understanding of just firm exegesis and all the passages that I was going through and commentary, but I also spent a lot of time researching what Christians have said about the topic of repentance for centuries. Um, so I read people like St. Augustine, Martin Luther. Um, I read uh, Oswald Chambers and Charles Spurgeon uh, and even more contemporary people like C.S. Lewis. And I, I went through and I studied all these people because what I've seen, the disturbing trend that's happened in the Christian life, uh, the Christian community today, is that people tend to have this idea that change is like a singular action. That you just like, you want to change and then you change. And that's how it works. And that, you know, we as Christians, we're pretty much good. We just have like a couple, we make mistakes every now and then and that's it. Um, but what you see, if, if you look at it historically or biblically, if you really start studying the scriptures, what you see is that this concept of having perfect repentance over any area of sin is foreign. Meaning you don't see any author, and I, I would challenge anyone, find a single author who seems to say that repentance is a singular one-time action that's over as soon as you begin it, right? You're not going to find it, right? For the most part, what you see about repentance is you see that it is an ongoing, lifelong act. And so one of the things that is really damaging to the church right now is that people have this idea that it's like, oh, I, I repented of that. Like, it's over. You know, like, I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to strive towards God anymore. I don't have to confess about it anymore. It's just, it's done. You know, I have victory. And um, that's just not accurate. That's not true. Or people are, are waiting for this incredible deliverance right. day, right. you know, where they're, they're praying and fasting and going, God's going to deliver, God's going to deliver, God's going to deliver. Mm. And, and then it doesn't come. Yeah. And they go, man, we got to hold off, hold out, wait up, wait, wait on the Lord. You know, he's going he's gonna to deliver. But that anticipation of it turns into despair mm. over periods of time. And that's not uncommon. I mean, I think even in the Psalms, King David went through that kind of despair of, not feeling like the deliverance was coming. Yeah. Um, and Israel certainly felt like that. And the prophets, you know, um, reiterate those type of ideas of, God, where are you? You know, um, why are you leaving Israel? In that kind of attitude. Um, so you're right. It's, it, 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 it's kind of an interesting teaching today that we certainly have talked a little bit about and maybe why even from leadership perspectives of, why that is the way it is but but so you took a lot of time on that chapter to kind of really break things down yeah yeah i did and i i like i said i it's it i know for a fact that a lot of people when they're reading it like a lot of my my parents friends and stuff they bought it and i'm just waiting for when they get to that chapter because i know how contrary that chapter is to what most people in the church believe like, it flies in the face. It's very different than virtually anything. Like, I would even make this statement. I have only heard maybe, maybe a couple sermons outside of what me and Bo talk about, a couple sermons from the church that fall in line with what I wrote in, in chapter 7. The vast, 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 99.9% .9 of the sermons that I've heard um, in my time at church, I've grown up in the church. I've been around the church. 99.9% .9 of the sermons I've heard that deal with changing a behavior or changing from an issue, 
have this view of repentance that is a one-time thing, that it mm. is something that you just do and it's over. Um, and I actually, I went right to, so the, the passage that I'm exegeting for most of it is 2 Corinthians 7, verses, verse 10, where Paul, it's the famous passage about repentance, where Paul's getting at the um, Corinthian church about how they repent. And most people just read that first passage, godly sorrow, uh, produces repentance, uh, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. And people are like, bam, you know, you have repentance, it saves you, right? Leading to salvation, done. But then you keep reading, and what does he say? What diligence it produced in you, right? What vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, right? Those are words that you use of someone who's continuing an act. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You can't be diligent about something that's done in the past. Right. I can't be diligent about graduating high school. I already did it. Right. But I have to be diligent about the things that I'm continuing in. And that's what Paul says about them. He says, how do I know you guys have true repentance? Because you have diligence, because I see that you're continuing to walk in it. Right? It's not it's definitely not a one time thing. And if you read the entire two books of Corinthians, it becomes even more clear. Right. Because uh, what he's saying in Second Corinthians, he's saying, hey, I see a lot of repentance from what I wrote you in the first book. But man, you got a long way to go, right? You go into the second book and man, he still has a lot of correction for him in the second book. So if it, if it was a concept of one and you're done, then Paul contradicts himself immediately, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's a very, very important issue that, man, I, I know that me and Bo have seen it so often. It has shipwrecked the faith of so many of the people that we have counseled. Man, ruined them, like literally ruined them in their walks with God where they, they just cannot get past this idea of repentance, no matter how much we talk to them about it. Man, it ruins their marriage because, you know, the spouse is just like, well, unless they change, unless, it just, unless it's in the past, I can't forgive, mm. right? Or yeah. it shipwrecks the person themselves. Yeah. Yeah, so, the, you know, the book is bringing up concepts that are all probably, I would imagine, progressive, right? They're all things that you work on, like you said, throughout your whole life. Mm. So this isn't a workbook of like, um, you know, break free forever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> break free, you know, um, and, and that kind of thing. It, so in that sense, it's going to be disappointed to a lot of people mm. um, in the camp of saying, um, you know, victory, victory, victory. Right. And victory is defined as without sin. Right. Um, it might be a disappointing book. I, I think, though, that there's enough material in here um, where any person who has any inkling of being honest is going to to read it and find areas of life that um, is fallen short of the glory of God, mm. I, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and be able to work on different parts of your life. And that's what I love about it is it's, and that's what I love about running light too, is even though we, we tend to focus on sex, sexuality and sensuality and those concepts, um, we see that really, you know, you know, things like pornography, there's so many other issues that kind of play a part. And we've, we've seen that even with the term sex addiction, you know, even when you use the word sex addiction, um, when you just label it that way, we've seen a problem because there's so many underlying issues that have nothing to do with sex um, that really are so much what moves people into different directions. Um, and, 
And so uh, sometimes labeling someone can pull everybody's mind this direction when really we need to be going that direction yeah. to really get down to the, the root of the issue. Mm. Um, so, you know, when I look at my own life and lustful inclinations, um, I might find, you know, stress relief. I might find, um, you know, to become better sexually, um, education-wise is issues for me. Um, which maybe lead to insecurity areas um, of life, um, fear of rejection. So those things, you know, it can go down that way. But when someone just says, "Oh, Bo, you're a you're a porn addict," mm. then then that might have a pathological um, uh, definition. Mm. You know that this is what you are. This is what you do. This mm. is th- this is how it goes. You know, where I don't really care about my wife and I don't care about my kids and I don't care about my work because all I'm doing is watching porn. And that's just not the case. Right. Um, you know, so we have to be careful um, how we throw words around um, in this day and age. So do you use the word sex addict at all in the book? I don't think I do. <laughs> I think I think I think w- I use the word addiction a couple times. Uh-huh. Um and I, I think that there is a section, I don't remember if I said this in the book or I alluded to it, but essentially what I say is that like, you know, in, in some of the first chapters is that one of the great issues that we have as a culture is that we, we throw around labels too often and too easily. And so I, I think I mentioned at some point in my book, I said like, there are certain people that I would look at. Um, no, I did. Yeah, in the, in the chapter on envy, I mentioned this. I said, there are certain people that if you take any sin, and you bring it to its fulfillment, if you bring it to its extreme, you could call that an addiction, and some people would. So I, I took gluttony, for instance, right? So if you take gluttony, just the sin of overeating, and you took it to its extreme, and you have someone who's sitting in their apartment, and they're eating and eating and eating all day, and they're over 700 pounds, which happens, right? They're over 700 pounds. They're so heavy, they can't even get through the door. Right, they're they not working. Walk. They can't function they can't function so i would look at that and be like yeah there's a difference between that dude and the guy who may struggle with portion control you know like that may have a big mac too many for lunch or something like that you know and he's a little overweight right you have to say there's a distinction there um and then i i mentioned for for pornography i'm like there there's a distinction between the dude who is you know and i've counseled a guy like this who spends nine hours a day viewing pornography compared to the teenager who views it maybe once a day, you know, maybe even less than that. Uh, or the guy who is like, you know, going to orgies on a regular basis and picking up prostitutes and has STDs galore and is still engaged in sexual sin. And I, again, I've counseled someone like that too. Uh, and it's hardcore to talk to someone like that and be like, I can't look at that guy and be like, oh yeah, he's in the same category as this dude who, you know, is married and, you know, flirted with a girl once or, you know, has sexual thoughts or views pornography once every now and then. It's like to, to, to label it that way is, is destructive to both, right? Because it takes away the individual struggle of the person who's on the far end, but it also takes away the individual struggle of the person who's on the near end, right? So um, I do mention that, and I think at the end of that, I say, like, I wouldn't use that term. But I would understand if someone did, you know, like, so I would, I still wouldn't use the term, but I would understand if someone did in that case. Yeah. Right. In that scenario. Yeah. Did you, did you have any, uh, talks about 
how how um, demons are play a part in all this? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, man? No, Why not? <laughs> no, it's it's kind of big because that's another side of of recovery ministry too. Is right. the idea of demonic influence right. um, in people's life. And what you just got talking about is making distinctions. It's important for us to distinct. And and some people would say, well, you know, maybe maybe the, you know you know maybe the demon little bit influences you in one section and then really influences you in another. Right. Um, but you don't go into those routes. No, no. So it is clear in the Bible that there is a such thing as spiritual warfare. You know, that's very clear. It's there. You know, there's no denying it. Um, however, how deep does that spiritual warfare go? Meaning how much of a problem is it? Um, and it's really clear in the Bible. Like when you when you start reading these sections on spiritual warfare, the first thing that you notice is that most of the times that warfare terminology is being used, the battle is between your old man and your new man, right? Not between you and a demon. So the majority of times, and I'll give you some examples, Ephesians 6, where the armor of God is mentioned. Um, 1 Thessalonians 3 also mentions some parts of the armor of God, right? So you have sections like that that mention this idea of warfare. Mm -hmm. And the warfare being mentioned there, it's like he does mention the wiles of the devil, but the vast majority of the things that he's talking about in the context of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, which is the context of growing in Christ, the, the real struggle there, and Ephesians 4 is what kicks it off, the real struggle there is this idea of the new man that was created in holiness in Christ. And this is in Ephesians 4. The new man who's created in holiness versus the old man. So it's this idea of casting off the old man and renewing your mind in the new man, right? So that's, that's the context of Ephesians 6. So even the ones that do deal with spiritual warfare, the, the real battle seems to be the old man versus the new man. Uh, now, what we believe as Christians is that demons can, what you would call, probably influence would be a good word, influence. What I mean by that is that, like, obviously, Satan has the ability and capacity to influence us, whether it is, like, in the book of Job, where he is accusing us before God and asking for God to allow him to start touching our life and bringing wreck and ruin into it, right? So that is one form that you could say um, of spiritual warfare that can happen. Um, the second type would be like Satan actually like accusing us. So in like Zechariah 3, where, the, uh, where Joshua the high priest is standing before the throne and Satan is lobbing accusations against him before God, right? So things like that can happen, like an influence. Satan can speak, but he can't force you to do anything. Right? He can't indwell you and make you do something that you don't already want to do. Um, even in the Garden of Eden, where you see the most clear influence of Satan, where he literally comes down in physical form and speaks to Adam and Eve, he can't actually make them do anything. He can influence them. He could talk to them about doing stuff. He can move, move in their lives, but he can't force them to do anything. And that's why you see in James chapter 4, where he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, meaning that in, in the eyes of James, it's like, yeah, Satan can influence you, but he can't make you do anything. And if you resist him, he will flee, right? So uh, spiritual warfare does not play as big a role as some Christians have made it out. It is there. It does exist. But, man, we need to understand that the, vast, the biggest issue that we have is ourselves, right? It's our own fallen sinful nature. And um, earlier, me and you were talking about that passage from Jesus, where Jesus is talking about what defiles a man. He says what defiles a man is not what he eats, 
right? What defiles a man is not what goes into a man, but what comes out of a man. For out, uh, for out of a man proceed adulteries and, and, and uh, lies and slander. And he goes through this whole list of sins, right? So clearly from Jesus' perspective, it's not like he's saying, um, it's not what goes into a man. I mean, if they, he had the perspective of demon possession for Christians and stuff like that, or demonic oppression, as some people, I think, put it um, for Christians, Jesus would have said, it is what goes into a man that defiles him. Because demons will go into you and then cause you to do things. Uh, but his perspective is, no, it, it comes from out of you, right? This stuff comes from within you. Um, and again, in Romans 7, Paul, when he's talking about the evil things he does, he says what? Sin dwelling in me took advantage and did this. So Paul sees it as something coming from out of him, not, yeah, from, something, sin. not from something like attacking him from the outside. Yeah, which is which is kind of in. It's important to understand that too, uh, in 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 healing of any kind, because uh, what you talked about with labeling and how putting everybody in the same basket, so to speak, uh, it really brings up uh, that interesting idea with uh, when it comes to the the demonic influence, and that is, you know, okay, when someone has something a little bit, are they a little bit oppressed? And and then if someone has it a lot, are they fully demon oppressed? Mm. And it seems like it, it, the whole talk is about, you know, demons, mm. and which seems really weird since you don't see that kind of attitude where someone's like a little bit here and a little bit there, and you know, um, you know, Paul's struggling with lust and covetousness, and he's a, you know got a little bit of demon uh, influence going on. Um, you know, you you do see Ananias and Sapphira. Why have you lied uh, to the Holy Spirit? And why has Satan filled your heart? And you definitely see, and there's that talk, and there's those talks about, um, what does that actually mean, that Satan has filled your heart? Does that mean Satan was in them? Hmm. Or does that mean that what they're doing is, in in a sense, a replication of Satan? And its origin, meaning lying, is is from Satan, um, the father of lies. Um, you know, so those things, um, that's interesting. Um, so you're not going to find that in your book uh, so much. You're going to talk more about the Colossians 3, put to death the things of the flesh, these type of things, right. working on that. Um well, it's great, and it's good to get a little update on the book. Uh, it's going to be an exciting book. I think it's going to be one that we at Running Light will use all the time um, with people, which is great. Um, we have our other workbooks that are cool, and they're kind of, I think, definitely real practical and sometimes very practical, talking about sex and marriage and and uh, if we need to fast a little bit from sex for certain reasons or these type of you know specific situations. Um, and kind of where to set our minds specifically in 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 um, in uh, trying to really hit something right off the bat. Are you seeking the glory of God? Are you working on cutting off things? These kind of things. But your book really deals, I think, with got kind of man really massages the overall uh, very introspective of looking at your heart and and really meditating on the bigger issues, you know. And so it's it's definitely going to be awesome. Job well done, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, and, and absolutely. I think in my book, many times I do mention our other literature. 
Yeah. Uh, and the reason is because I, again, I, I wrote this book to be like a companion to the other literature. The other literature is just, if you want to put it this way, like my book's more broad, our literature is more focused, right? So if you look at our other books, it's more focused, it's more intent on one specific thing. And so if you're, if you're in that category that that book is focused on, it's going to be far more impactful to you than mine because uh, mine is more broad. It's more for everybody. So, um, you know, I, I also, uh, I've mentioned it before and I've mentioned it to the guys in the group. I've always wanted to write a book that could be read by husbands and wives together. Uh, that, that's always been like a passion of mine ever since I got involved with Running Light. I've always wanted there to be something that husbands and wives could read together to help each other understand because one of the big issues that I always saw um, when dealing with husbands and wives on this issue is that from, and whether, it doesn't matter if it's the husband who cheated or the wife who cheated, right? So when I'm saying husbands and wives, what I mean is that the person who's committing sexual adultery, sexual sin, um, versus the person who isn't. One of the issues that I've always had to overcome in my counseling sessions is it is so hard to convince the person who was lied to, cheated on, um, and mistreated in that way. It is so hard to convince them that they have fault. 